0: All right, so last week we discussed the persevering promise. And we talked about how long Zechariah and Elizabeth had waited for a child, how there had been reproach upon them because they were barren, and it was looked at as judgment upon them. And we looked at how God came through for them, not only for that, but also for the preparer prepare of the way that they'd been praying about, the Messiah. And today, though, we're going to learn about an impossible promise. So last week was a very improbable and seemingly impossible supernatural promise, but but this is going to be a brand new and one, one that has never been done before. We talked about how, how we had uh, Abraham and Sarah, and so it was similar to that before. But this time we're going to see something... Way different. I'm not going to go into details about this, but scientifically, it takes a a mom and a dad to make a baby. Um, You have to have a male and a female. Um, And we're going to see today uh, that we're going to go beyond that. And it's going to be very incredible to see. This birth that is coming is a very big deal. Um, Let's go ahead and pray as we get ready to talk about the impossible promise. Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us here today. Uh, Lord, thank you for sending your son. As we're going to learn about today, Uh, God, thank you for miraculously doing that. Uh, Lord, uh, I know we all come in with all kinds of things that are on our minds. Uh, I know that we all have a lot going on in our lives and our families. Uh, But God, may we spend this time uh, worshiping you through your word. May we spend this time thinking about you, uh, learning about your word, opening up our minds and our hearts to receive it, and increase our faith as we we study your word. (coughs) Increase our love for you. As we study your word, and, and may we leave here closer to you than even when we came. God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you. We ask that you please speak through me, Lord. Maybe your words and not mine. Amen. So before we dive in, I want us to to also realize how important Luke's gospel is, and so all the gospels are very very important but there are certain accounts that are in one gospel and not in the others and so last week we talked about the Zechariah and Elizabeth and and the prophecy of John the Baptist and Gabriel appearing only in Luke and now we're going to see another one that's only in Luke as well as Gabriel appears to Mary. So so we have the obviously the holy spirit to thank god himself who who works through Luke but but it's through Luke's diligence and his research and his interviewing of eyewitnesses and the hard work that he put in, holy spirit guiding him all all along that we need to be thankful for this this gospel. I I love love the gospel of Luke. And so as we get moving into this exciting section of scripture, we're going to discuss four ways, so four different ways that we should be prepared for God to act. And the first one is because nothing is impossible with God, we should be prepared for God to send, for God to send. I'm going to read verses 26 and 27 in God's word here in Luke chapter 1. In the sixth sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David and the virgin's name was Mary. So here we see Gabriel is a pretty big deal when we're looking at the coming of the Messiah. We've just seen him prophesy and, and let them know and or speak it into existence and the presence of God say hey by the way Elizabeth you're going to have a child he's going to be the forerunner of the Messiah. Now. I mean, maybe as shortly as six months later, maybe a little longer, we're seeing him appear again now to, to Mary. And he talks about this miraculous way that this baby would be born as well. Really interestingly, if you keep moving forward, we actually see that these two are relatives, that, that, we, that Mary and Elizabeth are relatives. They're generations apart, much different in age. We don't know exactly how that they are related because we know that, that Mary is of the line of David, as we see in her lineage in Luke chapter 3. Uh, but, and then we see here, uh, right before, we saw that Elizabeth was of the daughters of Aaron, so she was a Levite. So we got one from the tribe of Judah, one from the Levites. There was a marriage between those two somewhere in their family, but they are relatives. And so this is quite the family uh, uh, thing going on here, right? I mean, Pretty, pretty amazing to see what God is doing. And so although these two are, are very separate in age, they, they have very, much, very different lives. One's married to a priest, one's a young lady. And they have, they've, they've grown up in way different places, different areas, the way things look. They still have both suffered reproach. We talked about Elizabeth and how she suffered reproach and judgment by the people, and how people wrongly assumed that because she was barren that she was in sin, and, and how God had, had done that to show his glory through that. And now we also see Mary, and you're like, well, what kind of approach did Mary see? Well, Mary grew up in Nazareth. It's, it's not a real popular place, and we actually see this no, no better than in the book of John. John 1, 46, uh, we, we see Nathaniel asking the following question to his brother, who is sharing the story you know, of the account of Jesus. And Nathaniel says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Like, that's how this place is, is known. It is not exactly known as the Beverly Hills of Israel. It's not known as the place where you really want to be brought up. It's, it's known as, you know, a, a, a place that's really undesired, overlooked, you know, small, not really worth much. And then in verse 27, we're, we're given some more information about, about uh, who Gabriel, whom Gabriel is being sent to. And we see this word virgin used twice to describe this young lady. And why does Luke find it so necessary to talk about Mary being a virgin? I'm going to talk about that here in a minute. So we're going to hold off for a second. We'll get there. But just remember these two times here. But what we're told is this virgin is betrothed to a man. And who's the man? Joseph. Joseph. Good job. Y'all are so awake. That's good. Had your coffee. So that's good. So so Luke kind of tips his hand early again because what does he say about Joseph? He's of the house of David. And so we also know that Mary is also from that same house. And if, if if you knew much about Israel's history, you'd you'd research, you knew that the Messiah was gonna come from the house of David, from the tribe of Judah. And so Luke's kinda tipping his hand, and he'll go into that a little bit more in Luke three. But this is an important fact because we see these prophecies, and here's a couple I mean, we could go into, you know, probably days of prophecies about Jesus uh, and and still have things to cover, but here's a couple that talk about him being of the of the, the tribe of, of Judah and obviously the line of David through that. In Jeremiah twenty three, five we see Jeremiah say this: "Behold, the days are coming," declares the Lord, "when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land." So we get we get a sense in that that something big is coming, uh, you know. Through that, I mean, ha- how how amazing is that? And we also see in Second Samuel seven twelve, which is right before that, it says, "When when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise." Up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. I mean, how how incredible is that? So uh, there's something big about to be announced in the next verse. But before we get that far, let's talk about this betrothal that were mentioned here. And I don't know if you all we don't really use the word betrothed today. We don't do betrothals necessarily. Betrothals and engagements are are very different in how we do things and how Israel did things at that point. So betrothal was uh, was was official it it was almost equivalent to marriage uh so the, there would be a bride price and the, the 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 husband future husband's family the son his family the the parents would go and they would pay a price uh there would be an arranged marriage usually and they would pay a price and and the son and this this daughter of this other family would be betrothed and and, and the 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 husband's family would pay the wife's family because the wife would come in and end end up in the area of the husband Israel was based on a patriarchal system, you know, family lines, they kind of stuck stuck together there. And so there was that payment. And there would be about a year where the, where the son, the future husband, would have time to go and prepare a place for them to move into. And so during this betrothal period, though, they were treated similar to married couples, except there was no consummation of that marriage. They didn't live together. They were usually apart. Rarely did they actually live together. It was apart. And so this time was a time of purity, and they would need to make sure that that the that the future wife was pure and had to kind of proof of that purity and that the that the son was also pure and they would have this time of of testing this time of of seeing where they were at and then eventually there would be a wedding feast follow there was usually a huge wedding feast followed by a a consummation and official marriage at that point and so we, we need to remember how that betrothal process works and how we are not quite to that marriage state. And so when Gabriel comes, we're going to see that that this is quite a big deal, that they have not, Joseph and Mary are not together yet. And so so that, that will kind of throw us a little curveball when we get to this message. And, and if there was any unfaithfulness that was found in that year, if someone was found to be unfaithful, it could be punishable by death, oftentimes stoning. And so this was a a huge deal, and keep continue to reflect on that as we move forward. And God is sending quite a message to Mary. As we're going to see here in a minute, she is prepared to hear this message. And and we're going to see her response and see that she's prepared, that she's been walking with the Lord, that she's been in the Word, as we see that because she responds to that message with humility. And I pray that us, as we look at Mary, as we study this, this wonderful account, that we are prepared for God to send us a message as well, that, that we are prepared for him to bring whatever he wants to bring in our lives, that, that we are prepared to walk in the works that he's prepared beforehand, as we see in Ephesians 2.10. The Bible says that he's prepared certain things for us to walk in, places for us to go, places for us to be sent, a message to be sent with us to proclaim to the nations. As we talked about the IMB, there, there are many people that are sent out you know, Gabriel was sent, Well, and and, and and Mary was ready to hear that message that was sent. Well, or can we be ready like Mary and be like, okay, you know, let's be humble, and, and let's be ready to hear that and ready to walk in whatever that is. And I pray that we can, we can only do that by being walking with the Lord in, in prayer and in his word, being in a close relationship with our Savior. Next we see, because nothing is impossible with God, we should be prepared for God to speak. We should be prepared for God to speak going to read 28 through 30 here. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Picture Mary here. She's, she's probably a, a teenager uh, and she lives in a town of low esteem. And this angel Gabriel appears to her and says, O favored one. Can you imagine how she must have felt at that moment? You know, I mean, she's of this place of of low esteem, probably very impoverished area, not exactly a nice place, and she's living under the insane, uh, paranoid area of uh, era of Herod the Great. He had had a pretty good period there for a little while, but toward the end, and where we're at here, he's he's nuts. I mean, he's killing people. He's doing horrible, horrible things. And, and so she, life probably didn't feel like she was too favored at that point. Things didn't look too great to her. And then we see this word that we saw in our last account. Remember the, the word troubled? And we saw Zechariah was troubled when the angel Gabriel, and we talked about how that word can mean disturbed as well. Well, for her, Mary is also troubled. But this word troubled in the Greek here actually is, uh, has the prefix uh, die. And die, just like for us, it means double. Uh, or, or great. So, so we see this uh, translated greatly disturbed or, or greatly troubled. Uh, or double troubled. So, so for her, obviously you have uh, Zechariah as an older man. He's been walking with the Lord. He was pretty troubled when he saw this. I mean, he was pretty afraid, uh, pretty paralyzed in fear. And it says the fear fell upon him like a person. We talked about how that, how, how we, it was almost like somebody, when you feel like somebody's laying on you, when you feel that, that afraid. Well, Mary, she takes it even further. She is greatly troubled. She's double troubled, doubly disturbed at this point as this young teenager with an angel of the Lord appearing to her and speaking to her, uh, you know she's trying to discern what sort of greeting it's like favored one you're like she's like looking behind her like uh, I, is there somebody else? wrong number like is this where you're supposed to be i mean how how I may, can you imagine just where she was at like favored one like that's a very strong word uh to say there, and this Greek word for favor here and and, and sometimes we we miss this in 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 English, but this Greek word for favor is is Karen or karen uh, or haren, depending on what flavor of Greek you like to say. And this, this variant of this word is the same as like charis, grace. It's the same root word that we get for that. So this favored one isn't anything about Mary personally. It's not, hey, Mary, you're the best we could find. You know what, Mary, just like we, we see with Abraham, you know, A- A- Abraham was chosen not because he was the best, but he was chosen because he was favored. God chose him. And so, Here's the thing for us: we're not saved because we're the best, my friends. Frankly, some of us are the worst. Paul says he's the worst of sinners, right? I mean, he was killing sinners. So why was he favored by God and, and sent? No, we are chosen because God loves us, and God is showing favor to us. And so for Mary, we, we must not miss uh, you know we must not miss the false teaching of the Catholic Church who, who talks about how she is she was not a sinner; she was perfect, per- perfect. She did everything right. No, she was a sinner. And we see this in the scriptures. So, we don't want to go the other way. So we got the pendulum over here, which we're trying to avoid. But we don't want to avoid the other pendulum as well. Mary was a righteous young lady, and we see her response here. We see that she that, that Luke does highlight, and we'll see in her her song in verse forty six through uh, fifty six here that she does embrace obedience and thoughtfulness and her worship of God. I mean, she was a righteous young lady, but she was not sinless. And we see that Romans three twenty three four. All have sinned, right? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Mary was part of all. And then we see also Romans 3.10, as it is written, no one is righteous, not even one. And we see even Jesus pretty much say his mom is also a sinner. Per- personally, here in Luke eighteen nineteen, and Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. So Jesus literally said everyone, including my mom, my brothers, everyone, that... No one is good, and so if you're calling me good, yes, I am because i'm 'm God, but no one else is and so the Catholic Church sadly teaches that Mary is the dispenser of god 's grace, the dispenser of god 's grace. Uh, Pope Pius the Tenth and Leo the eighth have taught this, and it has continually been agreed upon. The Bible teaches that Jesus Christ is the dispenser of grace. It is only through Christ that you may be saved by faith, through grace, by, by, by grace through faith. The Catholic Church also teaches that Mary is a mediator between man and God, and even goes beyond that in this quote that I'll show you up here that is chilling in my opinion. There is no surer or more direct road than by Mary for uniting all mankind in Christ and obtaining through him the perfect adoption of sons that we may be holy and immaculate in the sight of God. That's Pope Pius X in his writing. My friends, this is blasphemy. There is, this is nothing short of blasphemy because 1 Timothy two five says this, my friends, for there is one God and there is one mediator between man and God, and that person is Jesus Christ. There is no one else who can mediate between you and God. No priest, no saint, no, no great Mother Mary, there is no one other than Jesus Christ. He is our great high priest. He is our mediator between us and God, and no one can stand in that way. May we avoid Mariolatry or the idolatry of Mary, and may we, may we worship Christ in spirit and in truth. May we see Mary as a righteous young lady and someone to be, ad, to be admired and someone uh, to be uh, revered in her wonderful Magnificat, which we will get into her song. But may we never disrespect Christ or blaspheme the name of Christ by exalting Mary especially above him or even near him. But we can learn a lot of about these verses here. Mary is hearing a message from the Lord and she's been sent an angel who's now speaking to her. My friends, we you know we hear this and we're like, you know, it'd be a lot easier for me to follow Christ or to do what's right if an angel came to me and spoke you know, if I heard the audible word of God, it'd be a whole lot easier for me to believe or to do what he wants me to do. I just, I just need to hear that audible voice. Well, my friends, I, I can guarantee most of us, if not all of us, are not going to hear an angel audibly speak to you. It's a pretty rare thing in Scripture. It's when there's a pretty big deal, like the Son of God being born. We, we, see, we see that happen, but, but we don't see that happen a whole lot. But what I can tell you is that God speaks to you every day, and he speaks to you through his word. He speaks to you through his spirit who lives in you, who helps you interpret that word and understand that word. So if you want to know what God's plan is for your life, you want to know what God has to say to you, what he wants to speak to you, be in prayer and be in his word. No, we don't look at the word like this puzzle that we need to figure out, and I'm reading it just for my selfish pleasure in myself. I want to know what, what do you want me to do? What do you want to do? No, no, we walk with the Lord in faith. We love the Lord, and and we love his word, and we want to be obedient to him. And as we walk with the Lord, his still small voice, as we see in 1 Kings 19, we'll hear it, and we'll know what he wants us to do. It may not be this audible voice, probably won't be this audible voice from heaven, but that still small voice as you read his word, yeah, you want me to do this. I need to walk through that door. And my friends, we need to be prepared for God to speak to us as Mary was. And number three, because nothing is impossible with God, we should be prepared for God to save. For God to save. Let me read verses 31 through 33 here. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. So we've been waiting for this message. Gabriel's appeared, you know, Mary's like, oh, well, okay, here we go. And and now he is speaking the very words of God that are coming to Mary at this point. And this first verse, okay, you know, you're going to, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. Well, all right, she's going to, she's going to bear a son. Okay. But then verse 32 kind of takes that whole another level. You know, it's not like with Zechariah and Elizabeth. You're going to have a kid. He's going to do some cool stuff. He's going to be the forerunner of Messiah. No, we're going to get to, to four different things that just blow your mind. And if you just could imagine Mary being like, wow, I'm going to bear this son, and he's going to meet these criteria. He's going to do these things. And what does he say? He says, number one, he shall be called Jesus. And we, we miss the, the part that Matthew adds in here, Matthew 1, 21. That's the beauty of the synoptic gospels, how they, they fill in and they help us see the whole thing clearly. And we see that she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So the name Jesus actually directly means Yahweh saves, or the Lord is salvation. So he said, hey, you're going to have Yahweh, Yahweh who saves. I mean, that's, that's pretty, pretty amazing. And now that name, Joshua and Jesus, or Yeshua, if you're looking back in Hebrew, it was fairly common, but this, this wasn't just the Lord will save. This is the Lord is saving now. This is God is being made flesh, and he will dwell among you. He will die on the cross for your sins. He will, he will save his people from the bondage of sin, and he will rise from the dead. How amazing is that? Then number two, he is Son of the Most High. Most High is another name for God the Father, as we see in Acts seven forty-eight and Mark 5, 7. We're going to, re- going to read Mark 5, 7. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you do- to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. That's a demon <laughs> recognizing that Jesus is the Son of the Most High God. How amazing is that, that even the demons believe in shudder, as we see in James. They-, they know that he is the Son of God, as we see here. How amazing is that and we see in, in uh, Deuteronomy uh, 10 17 that he's also right here called he's great and that word great is very very important and I have an underlined here it says for the Lord your God this is talking about God the Father God the Trinity as well if you're looking at them all again for the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords the great the mighty and awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe bribe so how, how amazing is that he is Great, he is God. He is the Son of God, and yet he is God as well. Amazing to kind of just just see the beauty of this. Number three, he will be given the the throne of his father David. He will be given the throne of his father David. So Matthew's account, see Matthew's account also in Matthew one one, says the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the Son of David, the Son of Abraham. So we've already mentioned in Second Samuel seven twelve and Jeremiah twenty three five that that the Messiah would come through the line of David. And now here we have this as well. And then number four, we have, he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will never end. And there's a ton of, of cross-references we already talked about, about the Messiah coming to reign forever, and we could go through it for, forever, but we see that he was to reign forever. And, and he's going to be of the house of, of Jacob. Remember, Jacob, Jacob became Israel after he wrestled with God. And God showed that favor, and we see here in Daniel two forty four, and in the days of those kings, uh, or of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. Nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end. And it shall stand. When you look around the kingdom of this world, does that not give you chill, chills and like, praise the Lord, he will break all of these kingdoms of the world that are godless, that, that, are, that are opposing God right now, and he will establish his kingdom forever, as we talked about a few weeks ago in 1 Thessalonians with the day of the Lord. And Micah 4, 7, And the lame I will make the remnant, and those who were cast off a strong nation, and the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from this time forth and when? and forevermore. His kingdom will have no end. He will reign forever. And, and my friends, his kingdom has come, but it's not been fully realized. We've talked about this before. It, it's not that, the, not that the victory has not been won. It has. The, the victory has been won. Salvation awaits us who are in Christ. But it's the already and the not yet. It hasn't been fully realized yet. A- at One day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. F- Philippians two ten and 11. At one time, the, the evil forces that have been allowed under the sovereign hand of God to do what they do, they will be cast out and they will be no more. And there will be no more pain, no more tears. I mean, how amazing is that? And what a group of prophecies that Mary has just heard how amazing is that? And could you imagine her awe that she thinks about this child that she will bear and raise and what he is going to do and who he is and who he will always be and who he has been even before? We're now just a few short weeks from Christmas, right? I think three, is that right? I mean, it's amazing that we're almost there already. May we remember the name Jesus and what it really means. You know, a lot of times we don't really remember that, but it means Yahweh saves the lord is salvation so as we prepare for christmas may we remember jesus and and what he came to do it, it wasn't a backup plan it wasn't like oh yeah he fell into the hands of the romans and he was killed no he came to die on the cross so that we may live so we may make, so that we may be saved how amazing is that as we enter this christmas season and may we remember the reason for the season that it is about christ he did it all to glorify His Father, and to save our souls. How wonderful is our God. And number four, finally, because nothing is impossible with God, we should be prepared for God to secure. For God to secure. I'm going to go ahead and just read. Uh, we're going to kind of take this a little bit of time. Just read verse 34 first. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? Yeah, that's a pretty good, I think it's a pretty good question in this. I mean, this is a pretty big curveball. So, alright, you're betrothed, you're not married yet, but you're going to, you're you're going to bear a son, so she's like, you know, I'm not an unmarried woman who's never known a man. How am I going to have a baby? Because, you, know, this, this, you know, this hasn't been it. It's a pretty legitimate question, and many read this this question, and in English, it looks so similar to Zechariah's question. You know, when you, when you look at it in English, you're like, Well, Zechariah kind of got a bad rap. You know, he ends up mute until John is born, can't say anything. He's having to, like, sign to people. He can't talk. I mean, it's like, well, I mean, come on. Give him a break. Why does he get this? And then you're going to see Mary. Mary's answered very nicely. And, you know, she doesn't suffer for that. Well, the issue is we don't understand the Greek. And I'll, let's go ahead and pull it up here. I, I've put it on here. Hopefully this isn't, isn't too, I don't know if you can see that or not. Um, so for Zechariah, he says, "Kata utos, So how shall I know this? Is, is what he's saying. Mary says, uh, Pos utus imi, How will I know this? There's a big difference there. If you look at the Greek, Zechariah is asking with some doubt. Like, have eh, you seen me? Me and my wife, we're kind of up there a little bit. Uh, we're we're past childbearing age. This is this isn't right. Like, this, this, how, how are you going to make that happen? Mary asks a, a very legitimate question. I, I've never known a man before that point. No one had ever had a baby who was a virgin. Just never happened. You needed a mom and a dad to be able to make a baby. And so, b- other than Adam, who was, had life breathed into him, no one else had been born that wasn't born of woman and with a man together and so she's asking a very practical question it's not will it happen it's you know how's this going to be uh you know how can this be because of where i'm at and so gabriel honors her with that question because it's a legitimate question it's not will you do it or how are you going to do it i can't think you can do it no doubt it's okay well you know where i'm at like how is this practically going to work out you know with that and it's a very very good question so gabriel answers her very practically and he says and the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born to you will be called Holy, the Son of God. Wow. I mean, you know, this is not going to be a natural conception. We can see this. This, this, this. this child will not be given to her after marrying Joseph. Joseph's not going to be the father. God is going to be the father because he's the Son of God. And, and talk about impossible. This idea of a of a virgin birth had never even been mentioned in any pagan literature so so even like the furthest out ideas of society and they had some weird ones you look back at greek mythology they had some weird stuff nothing had been thought of of god making a baby in a mother's womb without any consummation without anything like that uh, it's, and it's important to understand what this word overshadow means here because some in this twisted world that we live in can try to twist everything to be bad and, and to sexualize it or to make something else. Like, No, this word is actually it's uh, epischiazo, which is actually used in Luke 9.34, the transfiguration. It's the glory of God coming down. And we see, as he was saying these things, a cloud came and what? Overshadowed them. Same word. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. Obviously, this term has nothing to do with sexuality or anything like that. It's the glory of God, and this is the creative glory of God coming upon Mary and fashioning a baby in her womb without a dad. Just God makes this baby, and that is so, so important. The virgin b- birth is so, so important to us. And a lot of people are like, well, you know, but this word can maybe... No, I mean, it is so clear. He uses the word multiple times. She's never known a man. I mean, there is. you would have to just completely just go as far away from the text as you can get. If you want to be a literalist, you want to look at the word, it is so clear that Mary's a virgin here. There's no question in the Greek, no question liberal theologians try to poke holes in that as much as they can because they don't want to admit that Jesus is God. But when we look here, Jesus must be fully God and he must be fully man. This first one, Jesus must be fully man because he must be able to die a sacrificial death. Without being fully man, he couldn't die, right? God can't die. So he must be that. And he must be able to sympathize, intercede, and mediate for us. So we need to be fully man. That's why he's born of woman here with Mary. But he also must be fully God because he must be able to bear the wrath of God and suffer on our behalf. No man can do that for you. No other person can bear the wrath of God on your behalf. He must be perfect to be able to do that as well. And he must be able to secure eternal life for us. And he must have the power over life and death to do this. Only God has the power over life and death. Only God has the power to defeat the grave. So if we remove one of these aspects, God is not, he's not fully God. Well, now he's only man, and he doesn't have the power to do what he needs to do. Well, now he's, oh, okay, well, maybe he's fully God, but he's not fully man. Well, now he can't die for our sins. He can't intercede for us. He is not that great high priest who is not unable to sin with other weaknesses, but has been tempted in every way. He's not that mediator that we have between God in us to be able to provide that. So he is one person with two natures. He is, he, he was, he's, he's, he, he was always God, then he became fully God, fully man, and he will always be fully God, fully man. Now he is fully God and resurrected, glorified man. How amazing is that? And we have that hope that we will have a body like his as we talked about a few weeks back as well. Praise the Lord for that. Let's go ahead and keep moving. We've still got a little more to cover here. So verses 36 and 37, and behold, your relative Elizabeth and her old age has conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. So Gabriel also says, hey, we just did another miracle as well. Your relative Elizabeth, she's pregnant. And I'm sure Mary's just like, oh, okay. All right, so I'm going to have, I'm going to be a virgin and have a baby, and my relative is, she's up there a little bit. She's a veteran, as I, ta- as I ca- called her before. Uh, and, and it's how amazing is that, that God is, is showing his glory in this family? And we're going to come back to the end of uh, verse uh, in 37 there here in a minute. Let's go and go on to 38. So, so Luke 1, And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This, this word servant is actually bond servant or, or slave. She says, whatever, whatever you want to do, Lord, in me, you can do wow. I mean, is that not a great response? Is that not convicting to us? Like, God calls us to, to maybe move across town, and we're like, huh, huh. we're complaining about it. You know, God, God calls us to change a job. I know I've been there, and I'm like, Lord, do I have to, you know? I mean, like, you know, we, is, 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 is our response, due to me whatever you want to do? Because you know what? For us, we're bought with a price. We're not our own. So whatever God tells us to do, like, we're His. We're owned by His Him. We are slaves to Christ. Now, there's nothing better to do than be slave to Christ. He is the best, and He'll be the best master you'll ever have, and He loves you, and He died for you, and He cares for you. But how amazing is that? Our response should be that humble as well. She doesn't complain about what people are going to think, you know? I mean, here she is, this young lady, and she's going to be pregnant. She doesn't ask, well, how are you going to keep me from getting stoned? come on, God, like, dude, like, this is, you know, our law, you wrote it, like, this is a big issue, adultery is a big issue, people are going to think something, you know, right, what are you going to do about this possible, possible alleged accusation of adultery that's going to come, she doesn't talk with logistics with Gabriel, and be like, well, what, what day, what time, what month, what year, you know, how's this going to work, you know, is it going to be in a day or two, she doesn't ask those questions, she doesn't ask about how, how are you going to mend this relationship with Joseph, because he's going to be a little upset when he sees that I'm pregnant, and we haven't gotten married yet, You know, this is going to cause some issues. No, like she doesn't talk back to God. She doesn't question God. She trusts God. She knows that God will keep her secure. She knows that God will secure for her the blessing that he has promised. And she trusts God that that he will deliver her in these adversities because she knows that this prophecy of the Messiah has come and God will protect her and bring this to fruition. She understands that the details are up to God, and her job is to do one thing and one thing alone, which is our job too, to be obedient, to follow God's commands. So we come to a close. I want to read verse 37 again. For nothing will be impossible with God. For nothing will be impossible with God. Do you you believe that? Like in your heart of hearts, when you look down deep inside, do you really believe that nothing will? will be impossible with God. Do you believe that God can supernaturally create a baby in a mother's womb without a father? Uh, do, do you believe that God can take a sinner like Paul, who murders Christians, and save them? Do you believe that God can take a sinner like you and save you? Do you, do you believe you're too far from God? I hear people say that, well, I've done too much, too many bad things. I, I can't be saved. Nothing is impossible with God. Have you not seen what he's done in the past? He can save you as well. How amazing is that? Don't think that you're too bad for God. There's been a lot worse. I'll be honest. Like, and we should see our, we should all see ourselves as worse because we know all of our sins for the most part. Are, we actually don't can't even remember them all, but we remember more than we can remember other people. We know a lot of things that we've done. Do you believe that God can deliver you from the bondage of sin? the temptations of this world? Do you, do, you, do you really believe that God can deliver you from, from whatever evil desire that we have? We're, we're, we still have this sinful flesh, and even when we're saved, we still have these things that we struggle with, these, these things, these temptations, these things that pull us and draw us away from God and toward the world. Do we, do, we, do we believe that nothing is impossible with God, that he cannot deliver us from that evil desire, that he cannot deliver us from that sin? He can, my friends, because nothing is impossible with God. And because nothing is possible with God, may we trust God in everything because He is faithful and He always keeps His promises, even the seemingly impossible ones. Let us pray. Thank you, God, that you are the God of the impossible. You are the God of salvation. You are Yahweh that saves, Lord. Thank you that you came from heaven to earth. God made man, God made flesh that you are fully God, fully man, and that you are fully God and fully man, and you always will be as you are our mediator. You are our only mediator. There is no one else that we need to go to to be saved. It is you and you alone. Now, praise God, yes, we do. We are called to confess our sins to one another and do life as a family, as we see in James chapter 5, to confess your sins to one another so you can be healed. I mean, those are very true things. We need to have people in our lives that are accountable. But they are not our mediators. They, are our, they intercede on our behalf as well. But, God, you are our mediator, our true intercessor. Lord God, and may we trust you and love you. May, may, may we know that you are a God. Of the impossible, Lord, be with us today, and may we glorify you, may we make much of you, and may you help us to go throughout this week trusting you with everything. No matter how hard it seems, no matter how bad it seems, may we trust you with everything. And first and foremost, may we trust you with our lives. Have we given our lives to you, Lord? If someone has not done that, I would love to talk with them today and let them know what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to go increase our faith and help us to be willing to step up uh, in times of temptation and trial, and step up and ask you to move mountains, Lord, because you do. You do, Lord. Increase our faith, increase our love for you, and bring us back again next week to continue on this journey to Christmas, Lord. We love you, praise you, and thank you. Amen.